All right, Tavos. Good morning. Let's uh, let's begin. So today's daf is Samech Vav. So we are picking up last two lines of Samech Hey Amud Beis. So says the says the Gemara Tani Tana Kamei Dirava Mitzias Isha So there was a Tana who taught the following halacha before Rava that if a woman finds something, her Mitzia, that's which she finds belongs. Thank you, belongs to whichever belongs to herself. Say thank you very much. Thank you. Belongs to herself, meaning she gets. To, it's perfect. She gets to go out and she gets to keep her mitzia. Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says Labayla. No, ultimately it is owned by her husband. Amarlei. So, so they said back to Rabbi Akiva Hashta Umaha Top of Samichvav. If she earns hadafa, and I remember hadafa means additional amounts above and beyond what she needs to support herself. And now remember hadafa is a function of ma'asayadeh, it's a function of her earnings. Yet again, Am Rabbi Akiva liatzma, Rabbi Akiva paskin that she gets to keep them. Mitzi asal atoshkin. So both say, you know what the Gemara is saying is like this. If when it comes to Haddafa, that Haddafa is a function of her Masayadayim, of her earnings, then remember again, husband already has an entitlement to her earnings, and yet she still gets to keep the Haddafa. So certainly Mitzia, which at least at first glance the husband doesn't really have any type of significant entitlement to, it should certainly belong to the wife. This nan, because we learned Konam Sha'ani O remember we actually had this earlier. That if a woman says, I'm making a konam, a konam vow, prohibiting hana'ah to you from anything that I, that I generate, there is no need to go ahead and, the husband does not have to annul such an adrab. I'll say why, because since the husband already has a, has a claim to her masi, to her earnings, the fact that she makes an adrab prohibiting him benefits from her earnings is halachically irrelevant. However, Rabbi Kiva, Rabbi Kiva says, Yafer, he does have to annul it. Why? Because Rabbi Kiva says, as much as the nether is not chal, as much as the nether will not take effect for her ma'asayadayim, for her earnings, but if there is hadafa, if there are additional amounts, then that nether will take effect. So you see from here that what? You see from here that Lamais, at least according to Rabbi Akiva, According to Rabbi Akiva, the husband, the haddafa, the additional amounts do belong to her. So therefore, the Gemara is suggesting if the additional amounts belong to her, then all the more so mitziasa, if she finds an item, that should also belong to her. To which the Gemara says, Rabbi Akiva, Omer Eliyat, um, I'm sorry, Eifoch, Ela Eifoch. Rather, the Gemara says, turn around or switch around the shitos as were previously expe- expressed. Mitziasa Isha Labayla. Rabbi Kiva Omer Liatzma. So what says to change it around? Tana says that if a woman finds an item, so it belongs to her husband. And Rabbi Akiva says that no, it belongs to herself. Belongs to her. So therefore, again, the logic behind it being that since it's Rabbi Akiva who holds that Halacha she gets to keep Hadafa. And Hadafa, remember, extra earnings above and beyond what she needs for her support. And already that's something the husband has an initial claim to because of Masay Adayim. So if she gets to keep Hadafa, all the more so she will get to keep, she will get to keep her metzia as well. I v'haki aser ravin amra biyochanan b'haadafa shalol ayidiyadcha kuli amalo pligi debalavi. Rabbi now here's is interesting. So then the Gemara goes further. The Gemara says, well, what type of haadafa are we referring to over here? So Rabbi Yochanan says in haadafa shalol ayidiyadcha. That is interesting. If she generates extra income. 
without additional effort. Sounds like one of those infomercials. Right? She generates additional income without additional effort. Now, what does this mean? Look at Rashi. She's very, uh, she's very diligent. She's very diligent. And she's a balas malacha. She works well. She, I mean, she works efficiently. So because of that, she happens to generate more money in the same amount of time, with the same amount of effort as someone else. So what's the halacha? So if it's adafushleyadiyadchak, everyone, so we'll say, so the shayla is, under normal circumstances, the, the logic behind adafah is the halacha. Rabbi Kiba will say that she gets to keep additional earnings. Why? Because if she, the husband is entitled to ma'aseyadayim, her earnings. Ma'aseyadayim is defined by a particular amount, remember, of like wool that she's generating. If she decides to work harder and generate additional income, that's something she's doing on her own cheshpen, and therefore she should be able to keep it. The question is, what happens if she's generating the hadafa? What happens if she's generating the hadafa? But she's generating the hadafa in the amount of time that it takes to generate ma'aseyadayim. But she's doing it because she's extra vigilant or extra diligent. So the shayla is, who is entitled to that money? To which the Gemara says, so every so Rabbi Yochanan is going to say that if she generates without any extra effort, everyone's going to agree that that is the status of Ma'aseyadayim, and that'll belong to the husband. When she generates additional monies, but it's done through additional effort. So who gets to keep those monies? The Tanakhama will say that it belongs to the husband because, again, even Hadafa has the status of Masayad, and therefore it belongs to the husband. Rabbi Akiva says, no, if she pushes herself to earn more above and beyond what she's technically obligated to do, then the Mike said that belongs to her. To which the Gemara Surapapa says, that ultimately when she finds an object, a metziah, so a metziah is like extra earnings that are found through, the, excuse me, that are generated through additional effort. Look at Rashi. We'll say generally, in order to find objects, you have to look for them. Like fish that washed up on the shore. Otsvi shavor. Or you find a lame deer. So many will say, let's say lame in a way that doesn't render it a trefa, but that makes it a little bit more um, easily, easily caught, easily captured, right? Or they know some or silkworms. So Rashi gives multiple examples of these things. The idea over here is Gimar is saying that that so Rapapa is suggesting that a Mitsia, that when she finds an object. That's like ha'adafa sha'al yedei hadchak. And remember, ha'adafa sha'al yedei hadchak, extra monies generated through extra effort, is the machlokis Rabbi Akiva and the Rabbanon. And plukto is Rabbi Akiva and the Rabbanon. So, fine. Boi Rapapa, as is solo shtayim v'asachas mahu. But it's another interesting question. What happens if she does two malachas simultaneously? Right? What happens if she does two things simultaneously? And therefore, again, she generates additional monies. What is the status of that additional money? So, similarly, Ravina asked, What happens if she's exceptionally talented and she does three or four things at once? So, so what is the status of those monies? Does that have the status of 
Hadafa shalo ayedi adchak. We'll say, look at Rashi for just a moment. What does it mean she's doing two or three or four things at once? Shomeres kishuim. She's going ahead and she's a cucumber watchman. Tava bapishtan. She's weaving flax. Melamedes shir nashim. At the same time, she's teaching a women's song group, Bishar for money. And she's going ahead and she's warming eggs that are about to hatch. Or she's going ahead and she's working with silkworms. So we'll say she's doing a whole bunch of stuff at the same time. So the Shaila is, Rash says, Mahu, mi olo. Is that called? So we'll say, obviously, she's going to generate more than the required ma'asayadayim. But yet, at the same time, it's all happening simultaneously. See, we'll say, the classic understanding of ha'adafa is what? Overtime. Overtime. So if you put in overtime, one puts in overtime, that's her money to keep. What happens is that she's generating extra income, but it's not through overtime. She's just, she's multitasking. She's multitasking. So the shayla is, what's the status of those extra money? So the Gemara is going to suggest that, again, is that called ha'adafa ayidiyadchak or ha'adafa shlaidiyadchak? Now, based on what the Gemara said, if it's hadafa without any extra effort, everyone's going to assume that that belongs to the husband. The machlokis I'll be keeping the rabban on is in a case where it's hadafa Again, yes, it's true that she's going ahead and she's accomplishing it all at the same time, but it is extra effort. Therefore, who is entitled to that money? Says the gemara, teku. So the gemara goes right there. So let's remember again in the mishnah we had another machlokis in Rabbi Yudah and the rabbanon about who is entitled to the monies from her injuries. If she gets injured and there is Boshas and Pegam, so remember again, the Tanakama said, the Tanakama said that she, the woman, gets to keep all injuries. All, all damages, all damages are hers. Those monies are hers. Rabbi Huda says that those monies are split between her and the husband, depending on the nature of the injury. If it's an injury that's not visible to the public, then Lamaisa, again, she gets two-thirds, he gets one-third. If it's an injury that is visible to the public, then he gets two-thirds and she gets one-third. So the Gemara says, Maskifla Rabbi Barav Hanan. So Rabbi Barav Hanan raised the kasha. Ela me'ata ba'ish susaso shalchavero. Ha'cha nami deba'i lemitein le'boshes. So we'll say, so, so using this logic, Rabbi Barav Hanan said, tell me, if you went out your mevayish, the horse of your fellow, do you have to give your friend boshes as well? You know what I'm saying? What the Gemara is suggesting over here is, where do we ever find a situation where someone else is injured and yet, again, I get the money? We'll say injuries are normally paid to the person who is injured. So here you're telling me that if somebody injures, if, if, if Ruvain is married and, and Ruf, someone injures Ruvain's wife, that Ruvain that is, going to be the is entitled to those financial injuries. Where do we ever see such a concept like that, that Ruvain should be entitled to this? To which the Yosef so gives an exaggerated example. So if somebody went ahead and, uh, and, and, and um, injured my horse in a way that, quote-unquote, embarrassed the horse, so does that mean that I, as the owner of the horse, are entitled to injuries? To which the Gemara says, How can I divide the meeting lay boches? The Gemara says, Well, that's ridiculous. The sus bar boshesu. A sus is a horse. Is a horse deserving of damage? I mean, I've also Boshas, which is the financial compensation for humiliation, excuse me, is only for someone who could ultimately suffer humiliation. The horse obviously cannot suffer humiliation. Ella, rakak vigdo shalkadero. But rather, again, what about the following case, where I go ahead and I spit on the clothing of my friend? 
I go and I spit on the clothing of my friend. Supposed to say, I spit on his clothing, and the spittle lands on his clothing. And when I'm obligated to go in and give him boshes humiliation for that, now both say, now remember, the reason why it's using the case of clothing is because that's different than, than humiliating my person. See, again, if I spit on someone and it lands on them, that's one thing. But if it goes ahead and it lands ultimately on their clothing, which is not attached to, which is not them, not their person, but something attached to them, so I have to pay boshes to that as well. Maybe you'll say yes. That if you spit on someone and it lands on their clothing, which is a step removed from their person, that you should have to be boshes as well. Switching so that's not true. But we learned if I spit on someone and the spit literally landed on them, or another case where we'll say, oh, upara rosha isha, or I uncover a woman's hair in public, or I pull someone's cloak off them. I have to compensate the person 400 zuz for humiliation. And Papa said that this is true only if I actually spit on them. I actually spit on them. But if I spit on them and it, what, it lands on their clothing, then what's the halacha? But ultimately, I'll say if it lands on their clothing, I'm potter. Because I'll say the assumption is that humiliation has only suffered when the spit literally lands on them. But if it lands on their clothing, which is attached to their person, there is no boshas. So the Gemara says, That's because if something lands on my clothing, ultimately, again, I don't suffer degradation. Since it's not on my body, it's not degrading. On my clothing, there's no, there's no degradation. Ishto is lazy lusa. But Rabbi says, something happens to my wife that is degrading for me. Amali Ravina, the Ravashi, so Ravina said, Ravashi, well, if that's the case, El me ata biesh ani ben tovim, the islu hu zelusa lekulum b'nei mishpacha, hachanami debay lemitein lo, boshas lechol b'nei mishpacha. So I'll say, if you have a very prominent family, if you have a very prominent family, and lemaisa again, and lemaisa, one of the members of the family is, is a pauper, and I go ahead and I'm a vayish that pauper, I'm a vayish that pauper, that lemaisa, I'm obligated, so now if a family's prominent and one of the family members is degraded, so then lemaisa, the entire family suffers humiliation, so does that mean if I go ahead and I embarrass, I'm a vayish, or I, I, mean, I damage in a way that causes humiliation to an unibent oven, to a poor person who himself is poor, but he's part of a prominent family, since I've caused humiliation to the family, that I have to pay boshas to the entire family. And we'll say, that does not sound like a tenable, like a tenable approach. No, the difference over there, we'll say, is as much as that Oni is part of the is part of the prominent family. He's not part. He's not. Uh, he's not an extension of that family. Hacha ishto gufa havi. But Rabbi when it comes to a wife, a wife is considered to be part of the guf. A wife is considered to be an extension of her husband. And therefore, halacha lemaisa, any boshes suffered by the wife is automatically felt by the husband. That is why halacha lemaisa, we will say that if the wife is injured in a way that causes humiliation, her husband halachically is entitled to a share of that boshes 
of those payments for humiliation. And Rabbi said, that is how he paskin halacha lemaisa. That when a woman, depending on the nature of the injury, we're not going to get into this now, but depending on the nature of the injury, that lemaisa, if a wife suffers boshas as a result of an injury, husband will absolutely be entitled to some of those monies, since her humiliation ultimately is his humiliation as well. That is a unique halacha by the husband-wife relationship that will not apply to any other relationship. Under normal circumstances, it is only the person who is injured who gets the boshas, but other parties, even if they are related or even if somehow they suffer humiliation as well, are not entitled to any of those monies. Says the Mishnah. Is the amount of money only measured by the, the woman's humiliation or do you pull together the, the, the wife's and the husband's? So it'll be, so it's a very good question. So once we're saying that the husband is sharing in the monies, then it sounds like the valuation of humiliation is also based on him. It's not, that is correct. That is correct. The unique halacha here. That is a very good observation. Correct. There is no boshes for a katan. No boshes for a katan. Only boshes for adults. Why? I'm sorry? Why that? Because a katan is a katan. <laughs> Says the Mishnah. Now, because again, the same way that a katan doesn't have capacity, boshes. Boshes is suffering humiliation. Like that horse. requires a certain level of cognition. Right, that's like a horse. It's like a horse. The same way that the, that the horse doesn't have boshes, cotton doesn't have boshes either. Mm-hmm. Says the Mishnah, both say, don't worry, we will get our fill of boshes. I mean, that doesn't sound right. But we will get our fill of boshes when we get to Baba Kama, we'll see. So it says the Mishnah, Haposik Ma'os Lechasna, Bosa, listen to this. A father-in-law agrees to give his son-in-law a particular dowry, umes. And then the son-in-law dies. And I will say, now this is assuming Erisin occurred. Son-in-law dies after Erisin, before Nisuin. So we'll say, so now what happens? Now the, the wife, the daughter, is going to fall for Yibum before her husband's brother. So what happens? So the father-in-law can say, look, I'm not giving you, you, Yavam, I'm not giving you that dowry. I was willing to go ahead and give your brother, I liked him, I was willing to go ahead and give him this significant amount of money, but for you, I am unwilling to go ahead and give that money. It's very interesting, if let's say they, they were posted, they established to go ahead and get, bring into the marriage a thousand dinar, this was her dowry, who posted connected chamesh shemana. Well, so this is very interesting, as we're going to see that Lamaisa. Lemaisa, whenever a woman brings in cash to a marriage, husband agrees to not only secure that amount of cash, but he adds on 50% to that principle and guarantees the additional 50%. So, for example, if she brings in 1,000 dinar, in the ksuva, he agrees to secure 1,500 dinar. Then Abba said, now the logic behind that is that since she is bringing in a liquid asset, that liquid asset will be readily available to, to use for business, for business and for generating profit. Therefore, because again, he'll be able to generate profit with that money. Therefore, again, in the Ksuva, he secures this additional line. And also remember, when we say he secures, so understand understand what that means. What that means is that Lamaisa, for example, we spoke about Ksuva Spinendichrin, which means that he guarantees that her, her dowry, her Ksuva, will be passed on to her children. So, for example, if she brings in a thousand, he's guaranteeing 1500 in the Ksuva. But if she brings in real property or movable property for that matter and the property is valued at a particular amount, 
he goes ahead and in the ksuva secures it for one-fifth less than that amount. Because of both sides, since when it comes to either real property or movable property, there will be some level of depreciation. Therefore, he's not on the hook in the ksuva for the full amount, but rather he's on the hook for the appraised amount minus a fifth. Shum bimana, bishavimana, ain lo ela mana. Both sides is an interesting case. However, if the... And I will say there's another piece of this also. The assumption is that when a woman brings in property and that property was valuated, those valuations were always, um, what's the word, um, not overestimated, uh, inflated, thank you, were always inflated. Now the logic behind that is because the father-in-law, the father of the bride, wanted to make it look good that he was giving all of this money to his daughter, therefore it was always inflated. So therefore, again, by undervaluing it or, or by, by securing it at a fifth less than the, than the appraised value, what we're getting at is pretty much the real value of the asset brought into the marriage, plus taking into, effect, in, taking into account any appreciation. However, shumbimana, if the object or the item was evaluated at a mana, and let's say it really is worth a mana, then einlo el mana, then in fact he will be on the hook for the mana. Shum bimana, he no senes, shloshim ve'echad sela vedina. I will say, if again, if something was evaluated, if shum mana, if it was evaluated at a mana, remember, a mana itself, a mana itself is equal to 100 dinar, 100 dinar. We'll see this actually on Ahmed base. So, Shumimana, Hino Selas, Shloshim Ve'echad, Shloshim Ve'echad, Sela the dinar. So she has to give one and a quarter mana. I will say, so that's, that's just the same halacha that we spoke about before. Uba Arba Meos, Hino Senes, Chamesh Meos. And I will say, therefore, again, therefore, again, if he's going to secure it, for 400, she has to actually give 500 worth of the asset. So we'll say, remember, all the same idea, that whenever it comes to anything other than cash, so he's going to evaluate it at one-fifth less than the actual value. Ma shechasan posek, hu posek pachos chomach, posek chomesh. So we just said before. So therefore, what comes out of this Mishnah is Lamaisa, two ideas. If she's bringing in cash, so he secures that cash at 50% more than the amount of cash, the logic behind that is that since it's liquid, ready to be used for business ventures, he could use that to generate profit immediately. But if she's bringing in either real or movable property, the mice, again, that is valued at one-fifth less than the actual appraised amount. Says the Gemara, Tan Rabbanon, First, the Gemara is beginning to discuss the first case in Mishnah. What was the first case in Mishnah? Husband goes ahead, excuse me, father goes ahead and agrees to to give a significant dowry to his daughter, to his, to his future son-in-law. Then what happens? Son-in-law dies. Brother of, brother, surviving brother is ready to do yibum with the widow. So the Mishnah says the father has the right to say, I'm not giving you the dowry because I only promised it to your brother. I'm not giving it to you. So the Gemara says, this is true. It goes without saying that if the first was a Tam Tchacham and the second was an Ama Oretz, that the father does not have to honor the commitment for the dowry. But rather, again, even if the first one was an Ama Oretz and the second one is a Tam Tchacham, Father, could still go ahead and say, I would, I would have liked to have given to your brother, but to you I do not want to give. In other words, once the husband dies and dowry has not yet been delivered, father has the right to say, I'm not going ahead and giving you this money. Says the Gemara, 
the Mishnah seemed to go ahead and state the same exact case twice. That That again, remember, the Mishnah said that if he goes ahead and he brings her, and he, he, she's going to bring in a thousand dinar, he has to guarantee fifteen hundred. So we'll say, then the Gemara quoted this case twice. Hainuresha, Tana Shumaraba, Vikatani Shumazuta, Tana Shumadide, Vikatani Shumadida. The Mishnah just wanted to go ahead and discuss all cases of a large amount and a small amount, or situations where the item was evaluated by her versus when the item was evaluated by him. Says the Mishnah. So we'll say, listen to this. If, let's say, she went ahead and she established that she was going to bring into the marriage, which means for dinar, so we'll say, he has to evaluate it at six dinar, which I will say is adding on an extra 50%. So, so far, same thing that we just said before. You're bringing in cash, he secures it at 50% more than its original value. It's both an interesting case. So the chassan agrees to pay her 10 dinar, 10 dinar for every mana that she brings in. Remember again, a mana is 100 dinar. So for every mana, for every 100 dinar that she brings in, he agrees to pay her 10 dinar for kupa. Kupa means her basket, which means for cosmetics. For cosmetics. So for every dinar that she brings in, for every money that she brings in, he agrees to give her ten dollar ten ten excuse me, ten dinar for her cosmetics. says, no, no, no. Everything depends. In terms of when it comes to cosmetics, everything is going to depend on the Minaga Medina. What is customarily done in this particular locale? Says the Gimara, so the Gemara again asks, why does this Mishnah need to restate the same thing? Meaning in the previous Mishnah, we spoke about the idea that if she brings in, if she brings in a thousand dinar, right, so he has to go ahead and what? He has to go ahead and, and uh, secure it. Sorry, he has to commit to paying her 1500 So why do you have to repeat the same case over here, that if she's bringing in a seller, he has to go ahead and give her sixteen. dinar? I mean, he has to sit, why, why are you illustrating the same principle twice? To which the Gemara says, Tana iskaraba, excuse me, Tana iskaraba v'tana iskazuta. The Mishnah just wanted to give an example of both a large amount of money and a small amount of money. Meaning the previous Mishnah was dealing with a large amount of money, this was dealing with a small amount of money. Why do I need both? Utsricha, I need both cases, Why? Because if it would have just said the case of a large amount of money, because I might have thought like this, if a, if a woman brings in a large amount of dowry money, that gives him a large amount of venture capital. So a large amount of venture capital could what? Could generate a large amount of profit. That's when I would have thought that he'd be hired to secure it for an additional 50%. But bless you, she's only bringing in a small amount of money, which means only a small amount of venture capital. How much money could he possibly generate? I might have thought that he shouldn't have to be on the hook for the additional 50%. Therefore, again, therefore, again, both cases are necessary. Or I would have thought that if she's only bringing in, if it would have just said the case of where she's bringing in a small amount of money, I would have thought that because it's a small amount of money, it's a small amount of expenses. But they're both say with a large amount of money, where I guess, you know, he's got to hire an investment advisor and everything else. So the mice said, because there are more expenses, perhaps he's not obligated to secure the additional 50%. Therefore, again, 
Therefore, I both say both cases are necessary to teach us that the core principle remains the same, namely that if she brings cash into the marriage, he agrees to secure that cash at fifty at a fifty percent premium above the amount of cash being brought in. So remember again, for every mana that she brings in, he agrees to pay her ten ten dinar for her cosmetics. My kupa, what's kupa? Amravashi kupa shal besamim. Literally, a basket of besamim. I will say besamim means not just cosmetics but perfumes also. So Ravashi said this this halacha was only stated in Yerushalayim because apparently in Yerushalayim, so women would wear perfume and cosmetics, but apparently in other locales they did not. So I will say so. The question is. When we say that she gets, when we say that she gets 10, 10 mana, when we, excuse me, 10 dinar per mana brought in, when we say, is that, how do we, how do we me- measuring that? Is that according to the evaluated mana or the contracted mana? <laughs> and also, bless you, remember again, remember now that we've said that when you bring in cash, there's a 50% premium. So how are we measuring, how are we measuring the 10 dinar per mana? Is that the, do we measure by actual money brought in? Or do we measure it ultimately again by how much the husband is obligated to record in the ksuba? To which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, look at Rashi, and Nisham Omana Miskabel, Hai Lakomana Omana the Kamar, the Fichashwana Shuma Kamar, or the Fichashwana Shuma Kabla, and Labdanu Pachos Chomesh. So I'll say, so that, that's the, so how, how much ultimately, and also, by the way, let me be clear, this is not just cash, by the way. This is this is in general with dowry. So any dowry is so for every mana of dowry that she brings in, he agrees to ten dinar ultimately of cosmetic money. So the shaila is: is this according to the actual value of the item, or according to the amount that he that he guarantees in the ksuba? So in if you want to say that it's in accordance with with the monies. Or with the amount as he is makabalit upon himself. So let's say for cash, that'll be an additional 50%. For all other property, less than a fifth. So then the question is, Yom Rishon, all call Yom Vayom. Does she get paid out? Now, I'll say, Tosis, underst- let's read this and then we'll see how Tosis understands this. So is it, is it every day? Is it just the first day or every day? If you want to say it's every single day, Shabbos Rishon, all call Shabbos for Shabbos. Is it only every day of the first week or every single week? If you want to say that it's every single week, is it just the first month or is it every month? If you want to say it's every single month, is it every single, is it first year, every single year? To which the Gemara says, Teiku. They're both saying, if you look at Tosis, Tosis says, so we'll say here's the interesting idea. Remember, this amount that she gets for that she gets for cosmetics. So remember again, this is an amount that we measure at the beginning of the marriage. The Shail the Gemara is asking is, how is it paid out? So we'll say, so so for example, if she goes in and she brings in, she brings in uh, you know, a thousand mana. A thousand mana. So what did, and I'm sorry. If she brings in, okay, I'm getting my values mixed up. If right. So if she brings in, let's keep it easy. If she brings in a hundred mana, so that means she gets she gets 
a thousand dinar for her cosmetics. So the Shadi Gemara is asking is, how is that thousand dinar paid out? Is it spread out over the duration of the marriage? Is it payable in a one-time lump sum? Do we pay it out over a week, over a month, over a year, over years? To which the Gemara says, teku. To which the Gemara says, well, the Mishnah doesn't give us exactly a schedule for how to go ahead and pay out this particular amount. So the Gemara goes weiter. So it's another one of these stories. So yesterday, there was once an episode with the daughter of Naktimon ben Gorion. Apparently, she was widowed. I'm sorry, she was not widowed. This is when she's married. No, I'm sorry, she was widowed. So what happened? What happened? The Chachamim, Rashi says over here, So the daughter of her husband died, and what happened? She came to Bezin for her cosmetics allotment. And what did they do? They gave him 400 zuhuvim, 400 gold pieces per day. Per day, a huge amount of money for her cosmetics. So what happened? So she was very upset because she felt it wasn't enough. This should be the amount of money allotted to your daughters. Now she was cursing them. But they said, Oh, absolutely, Amen. We will take it. So, okay, so the Gemara goes weiter. So was, was, it could be, it could be, first of all, it could be in this case, maybe she was older. Maybe she was older already and she was widowed, and maybe it wasn't a Yibam case. Because remember, Rashi pointed out in the previous case that the reason why they did not want to answer Amen was because the daughter's what the daughter the, the widow was a Yavam, it was a Yavama. So it could be that in this case over here, she wasn't a Yavama, and they were okay with saying Amen to it. So it could be. Says the Gemara, says, now the Gemara tells a very moving story. was once riding on a donkey. And he was leaving Jerusalem. And his students were following behind him. They saw a young woman who was collecting, who was collecting literally barley kernels from the dung of the of the Arabs' animals. From the meaning from the dung of the Arabs. Kevin Shirasa also, when this young girl saw Yochanan and Zakin is Tamidim, Nis Atva Basara, literally she covered herself with her hair. She covered herself, Vaamdalafanov, and she stood before him. Amrlo, she said to him, such a heartbreaking story. Rebbe Parnasani, Rebbe, please feed me, support me, meaning give me tzedakah. Literally, that's how poor she's collecting barley kernels from the dung of the Arab animals. Amrla biti miat. So I said, listen to this. So he said, My daughter, who are you? Amrlo Bas Nakdimon Ben Gurion Ani. She said, I am the daughter of Naktim Ben-Gorion. Also remember again, Naktim Ben-Gorion was one of the three wealthiest men in Yerushalayim. Where did your father's money go? Do people not say the famous adage, the famous thing in Yerushalayim? Melech Mamon Chaser. But say, listen to this. The salt for money is is chaser, to make it absent. The said, what does that mean? Salt is a preservative. The greatest preservative for money is to deplete it. Which is another way of saying the best way to hold on to your money 
is to give tzedakah. So apparently what she was saying was, my, my father did not give enough tzedakah. Because he did not give enough tzedakah, he lost his wealth. But others say, chas chesed. No, no, no. That melech mamon chesed, that the way to go ahead and preserve your money is by using your money for chesed. See, either way she was saying, either my father didn't give enough tzedakah, or my father did not go ahead and do enough chesed with his money. I, what about v'shabes chamech? What about your father-in-law's money? What happened? What happened with his money? What happened with his money? So, apparently, my father and my father-in-law so uh, invested in the same fund together. And when my father's money was lost, my father-in-law's money was lost as well. But say, just if you look at Rashi, Melech Mamon Chaser Limloch Mamon. If somebody wants to salt his money, Kilomar Ligrolom She is Kayim. He wants his money. He wants his he wants his, his his money to endure. Yachserena Litzdaka Tamid. He has to deplete it. Now I'll say, obviously, deplete it doesn't mean totally deplete it. There are caps on how much tzedakah he's supposed to give. The Chasrano Zaykuma, but it's the act of giving tzedakah that ultimately ensures the continuity of your financial security. So Amra Lo Rebbe. Zachar ata keshechasanta aksuvasi. So I say, so this girl knows Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai because she he was at her chasana. So she he, she says to him, Rabbi, do you remember when you signed on my ksuva? Amra lahen letamidav. So Amra letamidav. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai turned to his students and he said, Zachar ani keshechasanti aksuvasa shalzu. I remember her wedding and I remember her, I signed on her ksuva. And I read the ksuva. Rabbi Yochanan Zechariah says, her ksuva, this is astounding, her ksuva was one million dinar. One million gold dinar was that. And that was only what her father was giving her for her dowry. Did not mention anything about her father-in-law's obligations. So chutz mishal so praiseworthy are you Jewish people. When you fulfill the will of God, no nation has a hold over you. But when you don't fulfill the will of God, we are given over in the hands of a lowly nation, a reference to the Arabs, to Yishmael. To, to not only just in the hands of a lowly nation, Ella. But ultimately, again, in the hands of the animals of a lowly nation. All right, mm-hmm. we'll stop over here for today. We'll continue with Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Mirza Hashem, tomorrow.